so let's look for it for a good Wednesday night and may God touch our hearts, touch our minds as we uh, go into this service. Lord, I love you more than ever before. Lord, I need you more than ever before. I like to tell you I love you now more than ever. Lord, I love you more than ever before. Lord, I need you. Yes, Jesus, Father, be with us, we ask. May your presence touch our lives tonight, Father. More than ever. Same. 
since I met Jesus. He alone can calm the troubled soul. Master of the sea, We can stream the service and we ask that you'll be a blessing to everyone that's logging into our service tonight. We thank you, Lord, for helping us over the past week. We thank you for helping Sister Anne-Marie uh, with her procedure today. Lord, we give you thanks for so many things. And tonight we ask that you'll be with us and let this short service be a blessing to every child of God present here tonight. Amen and amen and amen. Well, because we are streaming, we have limited time, and so I'm glad to see everyone here, and um, a Wednesday night, normal Wednesday night, we call it small crowd, like that makes it sounds like a lot of people, small crowd. But we're glad you're here, and I'm thinking, today I was thinking of a statement um, a good man, great man of God said one time. He says, if we continue to do the things we have always done, we'll continue to be the people we have always been. And when we think about whatever God is doing in the world today, it becomes necessary for us to consider these things. It's necessary for us to consider 
whether we want to make changes in our lives. I had a conversation with Brother Richard today, and I told him, I said, I have a strong feeling when this is, if it's ever over, when it's ever over, some, are, some people would improve in their Christian life and dedication to God, and many would go back to the same old rut and same old lifestyle. And that's sad. Well, <clears throat> also what I was thinking just before church today was that, you know, we have champions in the Bible. It's good to have champions in your present day, but we look at the Bible and there are champions in the Bible. And it is nice when we can look back in history, biblical history, and isolate a champion and make him sound great. But each man in the Bible uh, had, a, had flaws in their lives. They were human beings that had a period of life that they had to live. And during that period, they had to prove themselves uh, to be faithful until God had completed a work in their lives. I'm thinking of Abraham, for example. When God called Abraham, according to Scripture, out of the Ur of the Chaldees and uh, was leading him into the land of Canaan, the Lord told Abraham, he said, leave your kindred, leave your family, leave everyone behind and come into a land that I have promised thee and I will bless you. Well, we know that Abraham did not really obey God. He took a lot of family with him. And uh, he took um, uh, his nephew and he took uh, their families with them. And it created problems for him later on. But one of the most remarkable things you can get disappointed with about Abraham was that he always questioned God. When God told Abraham, he says, I'll destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, well, maybe there are uh, 50 righteous in there. So questioning God was something that he did and then he brought it down to 40 and then he brought it down as low as 10 and God said to Abraham he says if there are 10 people in the land I will spare it and so uh, his argument did not win then when Abraham one of the things I was really uh, surprised that a man like Abraham would do was when there was he was finally in the land of Canaan there was a famine there. This land that God promised him had a famine. And so he went on into the land and there was a famine. So he told his wife, he says, let's go to Egypt. And um, he says they have corn. They, have, uh, they don't have a famine in Egypt. And so his wife decided, a faithful woman, she decided they were going to go into Egypt. Sadly, when they were almost in Egypt, he told his wife, he says, you're a beautiful woman. Uh, the Egyptians would see you and would want to kill me if they know you're my wife. So why don't you lie to them and say you're my sister? What am I doing tonight? I'm showing you that the man in the Bible, the father of faith, did not start his entire life out as a, a man full of faith. He had doubts, he had trepidations, his humanity was there. Then we can go down the pages of scripture. We can think of Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. Uh, Jacob's name uh, was, according to scripture, his name Jacob means supplanter or one that takes his brother by the heel. 
because it was his nature. When the baby, the twins were born, they found him holding on to his brother, the other twins, heel. And so he got a name Jacob. And he was a trickster. He was a supplanter. And God, when God worked on Jacob and the job was done, he became Israel, uh, one, a prince with God. And whether it's Abraham or Jacob or a prophet like Jeremiah, Jeremiah is one of my favorite prophets in the Bible. But if tonight, in today's world, if right here in this service, Jeremiah should come in through those doors looking like how he looked uh, in his period of time, he'll be coming with a wooden yoke on his neck. Big wooden yoke. And he will have to turn sideways to get into that door. Um, I don't know if he'll be running a temperature because Timothy would check him out and if he's got a temperature, he'll be out of the door. You understand what I'm saying? So that's Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah would look funny. He would look odd. A man like Isaiah. I wouldn't like to tell you how he appeared. Because there was a time, I think it was Isaiah that the Lord told to cut the back of his garments off so his buttocks could be exposed. And that is an impression to Israel. That's what God was going to do to them. So we don't want Isaiah coming through those doors. We don't want Jeremiah coming through those doors. And we can go down the line. Well, what about Jesus coming through those doors? Would it be permitted to come into our church or Timothy would have him sit at the back because he's got a beard and long hair? What I'm doing here tonight is that I'm telling you that the champions of the Bible that we hold high would not fit into our day society if they come like they were back there. And so if Jesus were to come into that door... I don't think he'll wear a gown. I think he would blend. He wouldn't be whirly. He wouldn't be half, you know, half uh, clothed as a, as a brother in the church. I think if he knows that it's nice to put a jacket on, he'll put one on. But Jesus, his attitude and his spirit is so different than the spirit that exists in our world today. The concept of being blessed today has been revolutionized over the years. And so tonight I am looking at a scripture here in, in Matthew, the, ch the fifth chapter, where Jesus is talking. And one of the examples I'd like to pattern after is Jesus himself, not how he dressed, not how he looked, because we're talking about 2,000 years ago. But I'll try to incorporate his spirit in my life. If I can incorporate his spirit and have his attitude and find out what kind of attitude he had. Was he a ravenous man? Was he a coward? Was he overzealous? What kind of person was Jesus? Well, his teachings would tell you. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, he used, he changed the, the definition as a matter of fact, his definition of being blessed is a whole lot different than a lot of people today's definition would be. He said here in verse 4, verse 3, uh, verse 2, me back up here, it says, 
I can go from verse 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain and then he sat down. I told Nadine tonight, I said, I miss my seat and maybe on the weekend I'll put back my chair here because it'll give me that more, you know, relaxed thing that I'm accustomed to. I put a chair and sit and talk. When Jesus sat down and his disciples came unto him, he sat and he talked. He was not a fireball preacher. He was not an overzealous preacher. Uh, if you were a Pentecostal and you're accustomed to a lot of screaming and shouting, you would not find that in Jesus' ministry. Uh, you will find a very calm and tranquil individual, an individual that's matured. And here is what he said. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, poor not in, the, in, in materialistic things. He says, but poor in spirit. It means you're not proud. You're not arrogant. You're not exalted. You're not just puffed up. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. Come on, Jesus. I want to just be happy all the time. No, he says, if you can learn to mourn, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Today, I had a visitor while I sat in the front office, and it was Chubbs sent a new salesman out uh, to get acquainted with me. And we had a long conversation. And uh, someone had mentioned to him that I, we have uh, work in Haiti, we go out and help poor people in Haiti. And uh, I told him, I said, we are not rich. We are not rich ourselves, but we love to help individuals. And we have helped individuals in Haiti. He was from Pakistan. And I told him we have a Pakistani family here that we have helped uh, to get settled in. And uh, you know, until they can get uh, settled in, and it's necessary to help individuals. And so he was telling me, he said, that's good that you help individuals. I said, you know what? Somebody from India, uh, when they visited with us, told me, uh, Brother Singh, uh, you have really helped us. And what I said in response is that when I help you, I actually am helping me. Because it gives me a better perspective of life. I'm not just there thinking about me and my wife and my son John and his wife and us four and no more. I'm thinking of what a Christian attitude ought to be. As I help, I develop a right perspective to life and a care and an empathy for those that are suffering. And Jesus went on here, he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. He said Moses was one of the meekest men. In the Old Testament, blessed are the meek. Uh, you're, you're easy to be spoken to. Uh, someone can look at you and they're not afraid to come up to you and speak to you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. It's I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I'll be filled. Filled with what? Filled with the purpose of God in my life. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, uh, in one of Paul's 
Uh, I think it might have been James' epistle that James wrote. He says, you shall have judgment without mercy that shows no mercy. For mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Uh, Jesus, in the, in the pattern prayer, he said, when you pray, say, Father, forgive me this day as I forgive those that trespass against me. Uh, so we ask God to forgive us, but we must be willing to forgive the people that are with us. Amen. And then he went on here. He says, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. When it comes to us in uh, this particular fellowship, we delight in creating an impression that we are modest, we look good, uh, this outward manifestation. And someone said uh, one time that man looketh on the outward appearance, uh, God looks on the heart. So let's give man something to look at. So make sure the church is tidy, make sure you're tidy, make sure when somebody come in, they can see a lot of uh, what they like to see. But we can be so lost in giving man what he wants to see that we have forgotten that God looks at the heart. And so God, you might look pure on the outside, but God judges the heart. And this is what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in their heart for they shall see God now somebody says God is invisible and scripture does say God is invisible but when you have developed a mindset that you're pure you're not thinking evil you understand that God never errs in judgment uh, when you look around and you see something happening in someone's life you can see God working in that individual's life when you look at someone that God takes out of poverty and the dregs of life and work in their life, you can see God. Uh, you don't have to wait and want to see God visibly with your eyes, but you can see him in the manifestations of his hand in the earth. And that is why when I'm thinking of COVID-19 and I'm thinking of this pandemic that's rocking the world, a simple microscopic virus has stalled the entire world a single microscopic I I'm saying single because I'm isolating it a microscopic virus has stalled commerce it has stalled uh, political influences it has stalled commercial enterprises it has stalled the sports world it has stalled the entertainment world and it has stalled religious world also and it's like a voice saying, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. Come on, be quiet, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. And here we are as the church, we should not respond to this virus like the rest of society is responding to it. We are to do everything within our power uh, to follow the health principles and the requirements that Health Canada is demanding of us. We shall do our very best, but there is a God that's above this. And we need to consider these facts. We need to consider the concept that, that uh, virus is here. Why God? Why did we have to close down church? Why did we have to stay home? Why are we streaming? Why are we so held like in captivity when I put a mask on? I've got a little touch of asthma. So when I put a mask on, I suffocate. But I keep my mask. 
If I'm to leave here and pass with you, I must put my mask on, right? Why am I doing this? It seems like we all look like bandits. When I'm looking at you, hey, I want to put my hands up and say, okay, take my money. It's a strange world. Never in the history of my entire existence, and I'm 71, have I seen something like this. And we can take it for granted. We can take our liberties and it can return back. It's not gone. The, the, the curve, we said you've lowered a curve. Well, it can go back up. Because it is a serious matter to consider. And this is important. We need to consider that God's in charge and whatever God is doing. Hold your finger in Matthew chapter 5 and turn with me and to, I want a scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 uh, in your Old Testament, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to try my best, see if I can put all of these things together. But we need to understand the spirit of Christ and see if we can develop that. During this pandemic period, your prayer life should have improved. If it has not improved, you have not learned anything. Your life of dedication should have improved. If it has not improved, what are you waiting for? Every family should have a family devotion. We had months being home. What were you doing? Just watching television? Every family in the church ought to have a family devotion where the family meets together, father and mother and children get together, read their Bible and pray. The family that prays together, it is said, stays together and I believe that. And so when we think about this whole virus situation, when it's over, if ever it's over, are we going to go back to what we were? And sometimes I make a statement and individuals got their own agenda. And you can sit here and sit down and judge me. But you know, before COVID came, I instructed our sisters to put up sanitizers all over. This was done in, uh, in December last year and early January. Did I have a vision? No, you just get a feeling. We need to put the sanitizers up. In January, before we even know there was a virus, we had signs posted near to all of those uh, sanitizers. Was that accidental? Well, I might not have had a vision or anything, but God does lead his people. And we protected ourselves. We, have, we didn't have to run the last moment and see if we can get some uh, sanitizers or dispensers. We got them. Uh, sometime last year, I, I made a statement, I'm preaching normally, and then suddenly out of my mouth came a statement that God will judge cruise ships. Brother Joe was showing, giving me, uh, we were listening to a message where in that message I said, God must judge North America seriously like it has never been judged before because we take life for granted. You understand what I'm saying? I look, uh, you know, I've gone into places where people just waste. I've gone into Mandarin uh, when they used to have the buffet. And uh, years ago, are you going there? And I tell the grandkids when they go with me, I said, don't waste the food. Do not waste the food. Uh, sit here and make sure that we respect 
uh, other people that are there. And you know, one day I was at Mandarin and uh, we were having lunch and there was a family of five not far from me. And when uh, they, they, they came, load their plates up, picked on it and go back for more. And the lady that was working there, she became my friend. She said, what is left on that table, I'm not supposed to say this, but it hurts me. She said, what is left on that table that we'll have to throw away can feed a family, a poor family in China for a week. See, I grew up and I respected life. I did not know to leave my food back when I'm given some food. I did not know how to say, I don't like chicken. I ate anything that was cooked. Because we grew up in poverty, but here in North America, there's still a lesson to be taught. And the younger generation coming up, I don't know where they'll go with all of this. But here in, in, in Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, beautiful chapter, and we've got some time, so you can follow me here as we look at this. It says a good name, verse 1. I really want verse 14, but I'll back up a little. Verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and a day of death than the day of one's birth. Well, what do you mean? Well, you know what? You can be serving God today, and you die in a couple of years backslidden. It's not the swift or the strong that start the race. It's those, those that endure to the end. I've had, I've had individuals with a lot of speed and zeal and, 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 and energy, spiritually speaking, start the race. And before you know it, they're gone. So a good name is not manufactured overnight. A good name. What does your neighbor think of you? What does your family think of you? What does the grocery store think of you? What does the school people think of you? What does your employer think of you? A good name. A good name. <clears throat> I have only known how to have a good name in my life. Uh, people that don't believe my doctrine would sort of make a mockery of that. But you know what? I'm accustomed to have a good name and a good repetition. Am I flawless? No. I'm no better than Abraham. I'm no better than Jacob. I'm no better than David. Of all, David. David had more than one wife. He had like four wives. And he was a bloody man that could not even build a temple. But he's my champion. We cannot look back at the past and bring those people and make them heroes today without understanding that today demands a stronger dedication than what they offered in the past. I've got leaders in my past that I respect and honor, but the foundation that we are building on needs to be added to and be fortified because the building today demands more to withstand the storms of life today. And there Solomon went on here. He says it is better to go to the house of mourning. Does it sound like Matthew chapter 5. He says that it's better to go to the house of mourning. Than to go to, go to the house of feasting. See some people all they want to do is party, party, party. Have another feast. Have another. Uh, do something funny. Uh, do something fun. Vacation, vacation, vacation. Come on. 
It's time we see the world and we see those that are suffering in the world and stop flaunting ourselves. Someone says, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I changed that around and I didn't know if that was, um, uh, that was um, what you call it, um, uh, when they uh, register it. Uh, the statement, one light will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. But I think it's not what you've done for Christ, it's what Christ has done for you that will last. And he goes on further on here, Solomon says in verse 3, better is, uh, sorrow is better than laughter. You see, laughter does not modify your spirit, sorrow does. And I'm telling Chandri recently, I said I cry for everything. I look at a, some animal suffering and I cry. I look at somebody that don't know that, that does something wonderful, but they came from a poor background and they had a hard life, and I cry. I said, I, I don't know, I'm getting soft. I'm getting like Brother John now, soft. I cry for everything. A tears come to my eye for, sometimes I think, why am I doing this? But it's because our heart, sorrow, it does more for you than laughter and sadness of the countenance uh, of the heart is better, is, is made better by sadness, sorry, by sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. You see, there's something about it. Your heart improves by the negative things that come along your path, by the sorrow that you carry, by the love you carry. Uh, Solomon went on here, he says, the heart of the wise is in the house of Morning. The heart of the wise is with those that are suffering. It's not fun, 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 fun. No, you care for people that suffer. It says, uh, for, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth and merriment. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise. Someone says, I don't want anybody to, 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 to uh, criticize me or to tell me what to do. Guess what? I'm your pastor, and I've been in this place, this country, for 40 years. And when I make a statement, don't sit down and challenge it. If you're in this church for 10 years, how dumb can you be to challenge when I make a statement, knowing that God has always stood with me and honored my words? If you're losing your vision and you're going blind because you're caught away with the world and the things of the world, keep your mouth quiet. Keep your tongue from speaking because I'm not carried away with what the world is doing. I'm the same old me. And the gospel you heard 20 years ago is the same gospel I preach. Come on. It has been stronger, more effective, but we need to change. See, this pandemic thing need to bring a change in your life. If it hasn't done that, God might have to be personal with you. And then it goes on here. He says, let me skip something here. It says in verse 7, Surely oppression make it even a wise man mad. Somebody says, well, I don't think I need to go through this. Well, you know what? We make choices in life. And sometimes the choices come around and bites us. Bad choices has bad consequences. There's no way you can violate the laws of God and work out your own laws and principles and uh, 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 yield yourself to that and expect God to be with you. 
See, God is not quick. Not because the hand of God, a judgment is not executed speedily. The scripture does say that. Because judgment is not executed speedily, the heart in man is set to do evil. But God executes judgment. If not today, tomorrow. No one gets away with anything. Every sin and transgression shall receive a just recompense of reward. If God's own son sinned, he could not have died for our sins. That's what it says in 2 Samuel 7 when the prophecies were made. And it goes on further. It says here, I'm going to skip a few because I'm saving on time. Verse 9. Be not hasty in your spirit to be angry. Do you get angry quickly? You lose your temper quickly? Well, I used to lose my temper very fast. And uh, in seconds, I could lose my temper. And the same speed I lose it, God helped me was the same speed I recover myself. And God has helped me I can bear up at individuals for a mighty long time. But my patience should not be seen as stupidity. Amen. My lack of aggression in trying to discipline your life and to rebuke you and to help you does not mean I'm stupid. Because I've learned over the years that when I try to take matters in my own hand, I get judged. But when I leave matters in God's hand, he does a good job. And that is why I preach a gospel. And when I preach the gospel, it is your responsibility to follow that. Amen. Amen. I still think we, need, we could see more people here on a Wednesday night. But you see, those that are missing Wednesday night, if they don't have an illegitimate reason, they got God on an agenda. And guess what? God does not like to be placed on man's agenda. Amen. The first commandment is that thou shalt uh, worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. He makes it very specific that he does not want to be behind any other God in your life. And so I have to preach. But it's saying, do you get discouraged when nobody comes? Listen, if five people show up on a Wednesday night, I'll still preach to the five people because it's the elect that I'm preaching to. And I don't know who's a sheep and who is a goat. So I'll have to treat everybody like sheep. When you act like a wolf, I'll try to hit you because you, then you pose a threat to the sheep. If you're coming in with fangs like a wolf, you put on some wolf clothes, clothes and you look like a wolf and you're coming after the sheep, I'll hit you. And then you say, why did you hit me? Well, because you acted like a wolf. I'm here to protect the sheep. But then I preach the word of God and every man is to judge himself accordingly. All right? And Solomon went on here, he says... Uh, be not hasty in your spirit to be angry, because anger rested in the bosom of fools. Verse 13, consider the work of God, who, who can make that, stra that straight which had be been made crooked? God can. God can take a crooked man, he can take a crooked path, and he can bring it and make it straight. And that is why you should not leave the straight gate and find a crooked one. 
Tonight, I want to admonish you that we need the Spirit of Christ. We need to understand that what Jesus was teaching is exactly an expression of who he was. And so here it says uh, in this uh, verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. When, if you get blessed, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, like today, like this time when there's things happening all around us, you need to sit down and consider. See, I'm a pastor and I must consider. I must consider when the pandemic is over, do I go back to everything I did like I did before? I will answer that for you if you don't know. <clears throat> no, I will not. We will not operate the music like we did before. And you know, somebody came and told me, that somebody told me that the saints would really like the full band playing and all of that, get some good music. I said, no. We don't need a full band to play. And that is okay. In our country, they don't, would not allow that. Okay, in other countries, they might allow it. But when the pandemic is over, that band is going to do what I tell it to do. Because we are to change some systems. We are to change the principle. When we come into worship, in that first part of worshiping a majestic God, I don't want anyone act like you're in a carnival. There's difference, a difference with caravana and carnival than church. Amen. So when we come to church, we're worshiping a great king. It's not how you feel. It's what you're told to do. Worship is not to make you happy. Worship is to give praise and honor to God. Amen. There might come a time when we turn the service to a rejoicing service. Because it's time to praise God. It's time to uh, maybe dance a little or do some, something. I don't dance at all. But um, it might be time to dance a little and rejoice and play some lively music. When that time comes... But you see, when we start the service, I believe the devil has undermined our worship service. Before we get into the real message, we have already been carnal. Because if the worship is in the flesh, there is no God in the service. You can preach the greatest lesson, but the minds are all carnal and the natural mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the genuine Holy Ghost. We need a genuine baptism of the Holy Ghost if we are seeking a baptism. And if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost like they had on the day of Pentecost, where they all spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, they were all, Tom, Dick, Harry, Jones, Brown, Martha, Martha, Sue, everybody was filled. Everybody got touched. Not half the church spectators. That's the kind of Holy Ghost I would like to see happen. When it falls, it falls on the whole church. Amen. And then I'm not speaking gibberish. If you're speaking only gibberish, be quiet. Speak it to yourself. But if you're speaking, if I'm tonight, I feel the Holy Ghost is touching me and I want to speak some Russian. I see there's a Russian there. If Brother Gregory is not there and I'm speaking Russian, who would tell me if I'm speaking it right or making up some stuff? You know, I can sound like a Chinese anytime. Anytime 
I can make me sound like a Chinese. I know how to sound like a Chinese. I know how to sound like an Indian. I can sound like Hindi, even though I don't know Hindi. But I know a few things that sound like that. But if Brother Gregory is not there and I'm speaking Russian to you, I'll be speaking gibberish to you because what's the point? But if he is there and the Holy Ghost touched me and I speak Russian and he says, my God, that is Russian. Okay? And that will be an impression lasting forever. <clears throat> or I speak some African dialect and Brother Thomas is telling me that's an African dialect. How did you know that? And I said this years ago, the early church, they fasted and prayed and waited in God 10 days. And so they only had to talk for 10 minutes. We talk for 10 days and pray 10 minutes. That is why we have no results. We must change. And I'm hoping to talk to you on this weekend on the importance of prayer. It is absolutely important. And so here it says in the day of prosperity be joyful. But in the day of adversity uh, re consider. We need to consider. And so back here in Matthew chapter 5. It says blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10 it says blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And say all manner of evil against you. Someone say well I can't take it. I want rights. Can you imagine that when they started to stone Stephen. He grabbed some stone and stoned him back. Or he get a lawyer and says let's take up this matter. See we are not Christians. We are corrupted. With today's society. We're corrupted with what they do out there. And we want to do what monkey see monkey do. Listen we're not a bunch of monkeys here. We're children of God. We don't operate like they operate out there. We operate with the principle of God's word. Are you still listening? Yeah. We're to be governed by God's word. And what is most important we need the spirit of Jesus. Operating in our lives. And so that's important. And so here in Galatians the 5th chapter. And I started it so many times. But uh, we've got, we've got um, uh, 12, 13 minutes to go. And so I can take time and deal with it. In Galatians chapter 5. Paul is writing to a bunch of people that's already backslidden. The churches of Galatia are already gone. And some preachers would say, oh man, they're gone. Why, why even worry? I would. If I know these churches that I worked hard to build think I'm an idiot and they don't want me to talk no more, I wouldn't waste time writing them a letter. But Paul, I respect him because of his patience and perseverance. He's still writing them a letter. God bless Paul. What an example, Brother John. What an example to follow. Paul the Apostle. I sat the other night and slowly, it took me about three sittings or four sittings to watch a movie. Uh, Hollywood made production of uh, Paul, Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul. Nice production. And you look at the man they had acting as Paul. I like the character. I think that's what Paul was like. 
got angry very fast. Didn't take nobody pushing around. When Barnabas wanted John Mark to go, he says, no, 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 don't take him. Uh, I can't take him. He left us the first time. And uh, uh, Barnabas says, well, he's my nephew and I think we'll take him. He said, you go ahead, take him. That was Paul. But then you see the man, how God worked in his life and made changes. Well, the spirit of Paul, Paul got some later on. He had the meekness and gentleness of Christ when he wrote to the church at Corinth. And that is what the same spirit is writing to the Galatians. He said in verse 22 of chapter 5, he says, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You see, when I'm thinking of all of this, that is the fruit of the Spirit, it's the Spirit of Jesus. I can understand how he said what he said in Matthew chapter 5. And when I examine myself, if I have any of this to the extent that I should, I find myself greatly lacking. And then he said, he went on here, he says, meekness and temperance against such there is no law. He says, because they that are Christ, if you belong to Jesus, if you're saved and you're converted, we had a beautiful lesson last week where I show the importance of salvation first before we can be delivered from this present evil world. Amen. You cannot conquer this present evil world uh, unless you accept, uh, you must first of all accept Christ as your savior. And that's what Christ came. He came, he died that he might save us from our sins and this present evil world. First of all, he, I must be his by giving my life over to him. It says here, for they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And we must come to the place to understand that this world is an evil world and like that we need to be true disciples of Jesus. We need to be true followers of Jesus. Don't put God on a schedule. Don't have an excuse. Eliminate your excuses. But I can't force you. I cannot force you because you must be able to do that voluntarily. If you're elect, he will get you. And the methods he used to get you is after long suffering. It's not easy. And so Paul went on here. He says, he says, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. He says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. See, the walk in the spirit, and Brother Joe and I had a little conversation because um, I'm told not to drink the cup of the devil, just the cup of the Lord. Paul says you can't drink both. But guess what? I find myself drinking a little sip of the cup of the devil. The cup of the devil is very subtle. He's not talking about natural fornication and murder and, and robbery. He's talking about spiritual fornication. That woman, that religious woman in Revelation 17, there was the wine of her fornication. 
It's a religious deception. The devil is transformed as an angel of light. So when you think you're walking in light, you might be walking in darkness. When you think you're drinking of the cup of the Lord because you read Dr. So-and-so's epistle, Dr. So-and-so might be lost. It's a subtle day. That is why God is judging the world and the church included. We need to reassess every aspect of our commitment to God. We need to reevaluate how we worship. We need to reevaluate how many meetings we go to. We need to evaluate how we treat one another. We need to evaluate how we stand in the pulpit and preach. We need to evaluate how we worship in the church. We need to evaluate, we need to reevaluate, sorry, all of these areas in our lives and see what we have done in the past. Are we going to continue to do it? Because somewhere down the line, we have failed. We have failed. <clears throat> we need to get that. We need to eva- reevaluate our church attendance. We need to reevaluate our tithes and offerings and our support of the church. You know, we made, a, we made a, an offer. Uh, we, made a, we fixed the roof and we still need to pay for it because, and I thought we'll get more response. Uh, I don't want to go and knock on people's doors, but we have $5,000 to pay off the loan. And I think we have gone down just, we still need four. I will never tell you to do what this preacher on retirement is not willing to do myself. I've always set an immaculate example. And so when it comes to dedication, we need to re-examine our dedication and our commitment to each other. Not your little personal agenda. Are you ashamed of me? Good question. Good question. Do you follow my messages? Do you listen to that all the time? Do you let the word of God sink into your heart? Or you're embarrassed to let your friends know that you're a part of Gospel Assembly Church and Brother Desmond Singh is your pastor? They might think I got a turban on. Whatever they think gives you an opportunity to see how much you can stand with the church. You're to stand with me. Amen. And then Jesus went on. This is closed up. Paul went on here. He says, we live in the spirit. Let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. I want a name. I want a title. You need to know what what I got, man. What maybe you've got, Paul flushed. Or maybe we can't even flush what you got because it has plugged the system. You understand what I'm saying? Don't go after what the world is going after. And then call ourselves the body of Christ. It is a good question if I could really ask the Lord, are we really your body? Or have we departed from being your body? Good question. He says, let me close here. He said, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. May God help us. 
May God help us. It's good talking to you tonight. Uh, we want to pray that this, uh, these words that I shared with you challenge our hearts and challenge our lives and make a, 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 a turn. Give us that impetus and that influence to make turns in our life. Let us serve God better than we did before this pandemic uh, came along. Let us serve God and give God a reason to lift it from our neighborhood and our community. If we continue to be the people we have always been, we'll continue to get judged the way God is judging us today. Let us pray. Father, uh, sometimes the mysteries that you bring before us are too deep and hard for us to comprehend. And we ask tonight, Lord, as we ponder these scriptures and ponder this message, that, Father, we'll reconsider and reevaluate our lives, that we want to please you, Father. And so please, we ask, please help us. Please direct us. Please lead us every step of the way. We thank you, Lord, for your mercies that you have shown towards us. And we ask that you'll continue to show that mercy towards us as we continue. Bless our service this weekend. And be with us on Saturday and Sunday. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you.